0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Nancy, and Nancy was married to a neglectful and blaming physical abuser. It's a story of gaslighting, defensive abuse, addiction, and invalidating police officers. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick. And with me today, we have Nancy Botwin. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am doing well, and today's episode has graphic descriptions of physical abuse and sexual abuse, so that's a big trigger warning for everyone, and Nancy here today has told her story, or is about to tell her story very bravely, so a big thank you to Nancy for being here, and if you want to be a guest on our show like Nancy is today then go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click that button, read our instructions just like Nancy did, and send us an email at at com, or fill out our guest form and press the Submit button. And Nancy sent us, when she sent her stuff in, I'm all over the place today, everyone. Uh, when she sent everything in, she sent this, 30-page document. And from what you told me, you uh, created this document when you were at a domestic violence center. Is that correct?
1: I did. Yes. Um, I was sent the resources of a local domestic violence center that aid helping women starting over. And I, I reached out to them um, and developed a relationship. Uh, Actually, one of the employees was a former client. And uh, they reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to speak on their behalf to help them get some funding and share my story. And I did. And when I did, both my therapist and the women's group said that they thought that I should try do more sharing with it. Um, So I found you and thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Well, you were in a very scary relationship. It started off... Uh, Like a lot of the stories that we hear and then, you know, red flags occurred. But, uh, you know, because of certain situations and because of psychology of people, there are reasons why people stay. And the person you were with was a a cold, manipulative and controlling person. And we're going to hear your story today. And today's it is a story, everyone. And now, without further ado... Nancy Botwin, the floor is now yours.
1: I grew up in an amazing family. Um, I was an only child. I was adopted. I always knew I was adopted. It wasn't a traumatizing thing for me. Um, honestly, like there were books in my bedroom of a little girl picture books about adoption. And there were paintings and quotes in my room. I'll never forget one that my mother even had that said I uh, didn't grow under my heart but in it. And even now at my age it still gives me chills when I see it because I know how much my parents loved me and they wanted me and I was very fortunate. So I grew up feeling very loved. and um, You know in your typical upper middle class suburban Midwest family um, I was always kind of unique and would march to the beat of my own drum um but I I never felt you know like neglected or like I wanted more but I did have I, I did grow up with some eating issues which you know a lot of young girls do unfortunately and they follow you into your life um but I don't I don't really blame that on my childhood experiences or anything like that. That's just kind of who I was, unfortunately. But it did draw insecurities into my life, I would say.
0: And as far as relationships went, what were your beliefs of relationships as far as do I have to stick it out, relationships take work, things along those lines? And what type of, type of person are you when it comes to Uh, Your friends, are you giving more than you're receiving uh, type of behavior? Um, Anything along those lines?
1: Um, Well, I grew up in a devout Catholic family. Divorce was not an option ever. Um, And, um, you know, you, you made it for life. You you dated to love and mate and do all of that. And I've always been more of a people pleaser. Um, I am somebody that is good to have in your corner because I'm always going to defend you and give you everything that I have. Like if I love you, I love you a hundred percent is kind of what my personality has always been.
0: So what were your early relationships like before you ended up in this relationship uh, that we're going to be discussing and did you have uh, issues in those or did, were those fairly normal if you were in any
1: um you know for the most part I didn't have a lot of relationships before my ex um, I was young when I met him um, and I was always kind of a tomboy so I I had my girly sides. I still do. But I was one of the guys. Through high school, college, I was very quick to feel comfortable hanging out with the guys. It was very natural to me. Um, But I did have this boyfriend in college that I look back on now as an adult at the time when you're 18, 19, you can't see it. Um, It was definitely an emotional abuse of relationship. Um, he, he was very like embarrassed of me almost when I think about it, and I was so wanting to please him and make him happy that I kind of even allowed the treatment for so long um you know, I look back, I was taking him out all the time, we were doing things on my dime all the time um I even look back, I have ADD, not HD, and mind you, this was back in the 90s, so it was very hard to get that even diagnosed, and I was taking Ritalin, and I would find him in my dorm room stealing my Ritalin, Um, and it was, you know, come on, don't you want me to be happy, but uh, finally, um, actually, he ended it, not me, I wasn't even smart enough to get myself away from that situation, because I was just trying to make him happy all the time. Um, so I never had a whole lot of relationships before that, and that one obviously did not end well. Um, and I decided it was time for me to move back to mom and dad's, um, which is not really a good feeling after you've been away at college and you're in your 20s and you're trying to get your independence. And I kind of just was starting over. And that's when I met my ex. Um. So. It was, we had met one night and, um, uh, I was going out with a coworker and we just hit it off right away in a big group He was in town on military leave and it was just like this whirlwind. And, um, after I guess like two days we were driving and he said, I'm falling in love with you. And it freaked me out. I'm not even going to lie. But at the same time, it was like after what I had just been through for the last guy I had been with to kind of belittle me and disregard me and for this this man to tell me I, I'm i falling in love with you so soon, um, it was like a drug. It was, it made me feel amazing. Like, wow, I somebody doesn't look at me as one of the guys and like, Somebody looks at me this way and appreciates me and um so, like I said, it was like a drug. I was hooked
0: and you were around twenty years old at this time
1: Yes, I was twenty years old um and
0: how old were they
1: uh he was twenty three just a few years older um, yes, yeah, so we had one whirlwind week together, just inseparable and Uh, He was home for an Easter break or Easter. It wasn't college for him, Um, but he was on leave for military for Easter. And the night before he left, he unloads this big blow on me, seeing somebody actually where he was stationed. Um, So I was just heartbroken and felt betrayed and. He said to me, no, it wasn't very serious, and you're my soulmate, and I want to marry you one day, and, like, this is it. Like, you and I are it, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to end it with her, and this is pretty much going to be it. So,
0: so um sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, thank you. So, you are 20, he's 23 years old, and military you're out of school what are you guys bonding over um what is kind of your what are your conversations like obviously you love that you are being loved and that in itself is this big hook for you how are you connecting in other ways
1: um, well, as I mentioned, I'm adopted and he told me that he actually had been adopted by his father. So we kind of bonded that way. Um, and you know, more than that, it was just him kind of making me feel so wonderful. Like he sent me flowers at work one day. Nobody's ever done that to me before. Um, we would sit up all night on the phone every single night this was before cell phones so imagine the phone bill for long distance calls every single night uh and that euphoria high that you have in that new relationship love that feels so great he was feeding me the story of um i want to marry you one day i can't wait to do all of this uh I can't wait to have children with you. So it was suddenly like, wow, all of this is finally, to me, I guess, because I've been a tomboy guys girl for so long, there was a man that looked at me in this female, sexy way for the first time.
0: You were seen the way that you wanted to finally be seen by somebody.
1: Yes, I. it's finally a, a, a man saw me as somebody other than their pal and their buddy, but this attractive, sexy female that could be the mother of his children that could could make his dreams come true, basically.
0: And this whole story, and when I assume within your household that that type of story is an attractive story um, for you and something you're like, okay, my future is planned out for me, possibly, Um, maybe in the sense of, you and i'm assuming here that maybe the disappointment that you went and had to live back home with your parents originally maybe fed into things a little is that possible that like okay now there's this future and now i can and now i'm on track
1: absolutely and had me so convinced so then when i would talk to my parents who then at the time might be their only child who is 20 years old, is dating this 23-year-old man, which is so not a big deal. But to them, three years is a huge difference at the time, which is hilarious. Um, that they'd never met that lived across the country, but that he was making all of these big promises, too. Um, my mother, having been, you know, raised in her decade where you went literally straight from... Parents' home to the husband's home. This was, you know, finally happening. She could see her daughter doing that. Her daughter, who was the eclectic tomboy, funky girl, didn't really, you know, like marches to the beat of her own drum. All of a sudden, she's with a guy in the military that wants to give her all of this amazing family like future. So it was great. My father also had been in Vietnam. um, So that would. A bond that they had over that as well um so as hesitant as my parents were about the entire situation they liked it and they could also see that I was making a plan for it I didn't just you know when we decided that we were going to make it work and I would have to move across the country from the midwest to the other coast where he was um I was able to get transfer with my job like I I would I was showing my parents, yes, I might be 20, but I'm being an adult. And they couldn't argue it. Then they actually thought, oh, my gosh, this man is, look at what he's doing. Making her, like, put down, ground, you know, put something down and, like, making her not be this happy-go-lucky, silly, hippy-dippy girl that I kind of was at the time.
0: So to your parents, he's this military person who is – that's that a, goes a long way in your household. It's kind of like vouching. He's been vouched for in that sense. And he is the Greg to your Dharma. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, 100%. I forgot
1: about that show. Yes.
0: I, I was looking at your face and you're like, uh, I don't know. I was like, I don't think she got that reference. in
1: <laughs> That show, I used to watch it actually and be like, oh, that totally reminds me of us. Because I was just this hippie, I still am, this little hippie dippy girl and very, and is very straight-laced, even keel. And they thought, oh, they're, he's grounding her. He's bringing her down. She's putting down roots. She wants to talk about marriage and kids. and. Where before it was just like, can I go to a fish concert or you know, like Dave Matthews is playing over here. Or like, you know, just my silly lighthearted self that I had been.
0: So, you know, your parents meet him. Everything goes well. What happens after that?
1: Well, my parents met him. Um, they, they drove me out. Um. And that should have been like the first red flag because i I look back at it now, and uh we had it was a three day drive, and my parents were exhausted. they went and checked in at the hotel, but I hadn't had my drug in a while, and I was jonesing basically, so he came and picked me up, I stayed with him, and the next morning, my parents wanted to meet him and get everything figured out, so I said. Where can we go to lunch? My parents would love to go somewhere by the beach with a patio. You know, my father loved like a nice ice cold beer, a breeze, the sun, all of that. And he just like looked at me like, why are you making me do this? Are you kidding me? And this was a while ago. I I couldn't just like Google it. Like, I don't even think Ask Jeeves was around yet. So I, I didn't know the area. I couldn't find a restaurant. And I was fighting back tears, trying to make him understand like this is love I mean I thought this is my my love, like why don't you want to make me happy and my parents happy and impress them when I want to do all of this for you um and finally, after a while of me trying to explain to him, he did puff and puff and pick out a restaurant and but it still. Honestly, when he did it, it was like he had done this grand gesture for me of just picking a restaurant to go meet my parents and have lunch and let them meet the man that they just brought their daughter across the country to live with that they don't even know. Um, at that point, I look back and I should have never unpacked my bags and turned around and left. But I also am stubborn. And I was going through a point that, no, I was making the right decision. And everybody said I was crazy for doing this. But no, like, this is it. We're soulmates. And sometimes you just know. Um, So we did that. And then my parents ended up going back home. And I wasn't quite ready to start work yet. Like, we had maybe a long weekend. So he was taking me out around and showing me. And there was a lot of drinking going on. A lot of partying and a lot of sex. I was, um, he wasn't forcing it on me or anything, but I I felt obligated. Um, you know, if I was tired. Uh, you know, it was come on, we're finally together, and it was. I felt pressured as a twenty-year-old girl, but um, he wasn't forcing it. But after so many days of this, not getting enough fluids, not you Know, doing anything right. I didn't know what a UTI was, and I came down with a horrible UTI, and it's just horribly painful. I'd never had one, I'd never experienced it, I didn't know what it was. And I kept thinking, Oh, it's just gonna go away. It feels like you're literally urinating like fiery glass, it's horrible. And I kept trying to, to say, It's gonna go away, it's gonna go away. And it wasn't to the point where I couldn't control my bladder and I was urinating eating blood all over myself. And I called my mother back home in tears and she said, you need to get to the emergency room right now. And he was at work and I had called him and said, something is seriously wrong. I need to go to the emergency room. And it was just this massive inconvenience. And how dare you? I'm at work right now. and. I couldn't believe this man that actually shook my parents' hand when they got on the plane and said, I promise you if she's in good hands, I'm going to take care of her, would act like this. And the thing that really stands out the most was, what were you doing back home before you got here that this is now happening? So it was, he started turning the tables on me, making accusations at me. I had to have been doing something promiscuous basically. Um, but he did eventually come home and he took me to the ER and uh they said it was just a horrible UTI, it almost spread into my kidneys that it was I could not have put it off any longer. But he was very much so like, Well, look at everything I just did for you. And obviously in so you're appreciative, but that should just be kind of a given. Like, if he was urinating blood and I was at work, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm on my way. Let me come and help you. It wouldn't like, look at what I just did for you. So, um, again, that should have been a red flag, but I had to my guns and say, No, you know, it's we're figuring it out, and I never lived with somebody else, and it's new. Um, it was. It's stressful, is what I kept saying. You know, making up excuses, all of that stuff.
0: So from here, uh, more red flags continued. What kind of stuff was going on?
1: After that, I was in a new city. I didn't really know anybody. I didn't have friends or family. He would be at work quite a bit. He uh, would be gone with militarily for a long periods of time, and. One day, one of my coworkers was going to interview with this new cosmetic company that was coming, and they said they were looking for management. So I interviewed, got hired very quickly, and I was super excited. And um, it was going really well. I was starting to make friends with coworkers, and I felt like I was kind of getting into my own groove, and this was something that he did not really like um for me to have any kind of independence um and he got back from being on what they call debt when it's like not like a really long term thing I think it was about five weeks and he proposed and we hadn't even been together a year at that point um but uh he proposed and I was ecstatic but it wasn't he didn't really propose. I didn't even know if he was actually proposing. He just said, "I want to marry you." And I said, "Okay." And he goes, "Was that a yes?" I said, "Was that a proposal?" And he goes, "Well, yeah, did you want it to be?" So, um, you know, as a young girl at 21, I just was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm getting married now." And the thing was, I said to him I'm like, "Well, can we go get a ring? I want to get a ring." Um, that made me a brat. I was a spoiled brat that wanted a ring. And uh you know, it was just crazy. I look back, but I remember thinking horrible about it, like, oh, I should just be happy enough with the love that he has for me. And I am not bougie by any means. Um, but there is something just special about a man getting down on one knee and proposing and asking the father's permission, and none of that had been there. But uh so I, I stuck to my guns, and he threw a giant fit, though. And I ended up actually paying for the bulk of my ring because he said if we had financed it, it would have just been another bill. But he did assure me that he was going to propose to me when the ring came because it had to be specially made. I'm very small; um, I wear a size three and a half ring finger, so you can't size down a ring that little. Otherwise, things will pop off and everything. So, um. I was working in a mall at the time still at the cosmetic store, and we ended up going to a jeweler, and I became friends with the girl that works there. She was new to the area. She was newly engaged. She didn't have friends or family, really. And we kind of would, like, bond over everything, talking about getting married and trying to figure everything out. And it was, it was nice. Uh, you know, we'd have lunch together and everything. And one night, I was closing at my store, and she was working. And she calls down and says, oh, my gosh, your ring's here. I'm so excited. I said, no, 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 you're not supposed to tell me. I'm not supposed to know. He's going to propose. He's going to do this big thing. And she said, I've been trying to call him for I can't tell you how long. It's busy. So, mind you, again, this was uh, before he was plugged into the Internet. So she was trying and trying and trying to get a hold of him and could not. And at that point, I said, whatever. Like, I know it's there. I can't not know it's there. So uh, she brought it down to me, and I brought it home. And I was excited. I I didn't even want to open the box yet or anything. And I got home, and I found him on the floor of our bedroom in the apartment. And he was passed out in front of the big computer with the back on it still and everything with a towel in his lap. And he passed out masturbating porn. So, um, it was definitely not a pretty sight that you ever want to find your fiance looking like. And I woke him up and he said, oh, I must've fallen asleep. And he realized and was like, tried to turn tables on me. And I just handed him the box. I said, here's my ring. I got here. He said, what do you want me to do with it? I said, we were supposed to propose to me. He goes, what's the point? I was like, you said you were going to. And he literally just opened the box and handed it to me and said, will you marry me? And I was like, yeah. So that was it. That was my proposal that I finally got. And, um, you know, he continued to say that I was just so immature because I was younger than him. And it wasn't necessary. And I was just making such a big deal out of it. And, um to the point where I got into my own head about it. Like, well, I mean, he's he's saying he wants to spend his life with me. Do I really need the big grandiose get down on one knee thing? Well, I did, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, after that, he was getting ready to go on a six-month tour that they do with the military where he was going to be gone for six months. And this was, like I said, before cell phones. And a whole lot of men and women one small space you don't have access to even like landlines really you can maybe get an email a day but i was getting ready to start planning my wedding and my parents were coming out to celebrate thanksgiving and um you know we were going to go dress shopping i was starting to make more girlfriends at work and i thought this is it it's okay like Things are starting to kind of fall into place. And then I'll never forget one night, one of my co workers that had become a really good friend called me and said her sister got into a fight with her boyfriend and they wanted to just do a girls' night and said, Do you want to come over? Let's watch a chick flick and drink some wine and just like have a nice girls' night. I haven't done anything like that since I moved there. I was ecstatic to like honestly sit in my PJs and put a face mask on, watch a chick flick and drink some wine. And my now fiance completely lost it. It was very suspicious of me. And it was a cover story. And um, they were making it all up so that I could go over there. And there had to be guys there or we had to have been going out. And I was so caught off guard by it all. And that was the first time I I had to make up a lie or an excuse why I couldn't go somewhere. Uh, because of his controlling, so I now look back at it and think, "Oh my god!" But at the time, I was like, "Well, I don't want to upset him. He's leaving soon. He wants to spend time with me." And but I look back, and you should never make up excuses for the people that somebody you're, that you're with.
0: So, how long into the relationship are you at this point?
1: Um, let's. See. At that point, it was about 10 months.
0: Okay, so you're 10 months into your relationship. Jealousy is now uh, being shown as a way to control uh, you. Early on, he had you second-guessing things, which then when you start second-guessing yourself, you start to maybe justify maybe that. Is well, maybe I was wrong, or all of these little things you're being isolated from from people here right off the bat, and you're the the twisting of you uh, has begun, and we're at the ten month mark to a point where you're lying to your friends or your new friends, uh, you're taking care of his needs over your needs your needs aren't being met you're kind of obviously there. are good stuff that it's happening in between but um, in these instances uh, you're taking these breadcrumbs when these things really mean a lot to you and you're you're just addicted to the original person at this point And it's, you know, we're 10 months in and you were in this for a very long time. Um, And and here are these ways already that um, you not being the same person you were when the relationship began has really started now to show itself.
1: Yes. The way I kind of like look at it, like I mentioned the love drug before, you know, they give it to you and then they take it away and it's a drug. It's like, you know, maybe for an addict, the first time they get high it only takes a little bit and then they're constantly chasing that high and they have to do more and more and more to get that feeling. That's how I felt at the time that I was constantly still trying to chase that love high that I had from him. So I had to keep giving him more and more to get back that little bit he would give to me to get that feeling of love back, that of worthiness back of a man look at me as somebody other than their buddy, Um, you know, I was totally chasing that love high, trying to get back.
0: And eventually uh, he left for deployment.
1: Yes. So he was to be gone for six months and I was heartbroken. Um, But at the same time, I thought, I've never been on my own. You know, I'm now 21 i'm living in a new city i have my apartment basically and i was going back to school and i thought this is going to be a chance for me to get back to me and hang out with my girlfriends plan my wedding and i knew my mother was going to come out i was going to go back home to do stuff because i was also planning a wedding out of state um but all of this i had too many things going on in a store, uh, I was in school. I was planning a wedding, and with the help of my parents, we decided it was a good idea for me to leave my job and just get a part-time job working somewhere, so that I could have a little bit of my own supplement and my own self. Focus on school. Focus on the wedding. And it was it worked out wonderfully because I actually had somebody come in and try and recruit me. And ask if I wanted to open up one of their stores. And I said, well, no, I, I'm not interested, but I would love a part-time job. I'm going to step back and I'm going back to school. And this was like when I started to find myself. And I had become friends with my new manager. She knew I didn't know anybody in the area. She would invite me to happy hours. And it was just awesome. And then... I would email my fiance and tell him what was going on. And this was just entirely too much for him. It it was completely unacceptable. It was disrespectful. How dare I be doing this and acting like this? And I had sent him a care package, even. And inside it, there was clothes from the store where I was working in a bag from the store. And I'll never forget he actually called me at the store. And there was like a big uh, delay because it was overseas and I couldn't believe he was calling me and he called me actually to end the engagement and told me that it was just completely inappropriate for his fiance to be acting like a big slut um doing all of this and I was just absolutely in tears and he hung up on me and I had no way to get back in touch with him. Um, So I was frantically emailing him and he did say that he had reacted, but he was not going to call to the wedding if I would agree to stop my childish behavior. So I did, you know, like I said, deposits were made. Uh, wedding was being planned, and I thought, well, this is what you do for when you love somebody. You know, you make sacrifices, and if he's not comfortable with this, this is something that I guess I need to be doing. But what, what bothered me a lot about it was I wasn't being sneaky or secretive. I would tell him everything I was doing, and regardless of me telling him or not, it just wasn't right.
0: So eventually you get married, but you get eloped so what happened there and what happened on the honeymoon
1: yeah so we eloped um 9-11 happened right as he was getting back and uh i actually planned a surprise trip to vegas for us and he told me that we had the weekend to go to vegas but he was getting shipped back out to the middle east after this and we got there and he says let's just do it let's get married you can be on my insurance." Blah blah blah, and I tried to spin it as romantic. It was not. Um, so we eloped and we get back to where we lived, and he says, "Never mind, they're not sending me anymore." So we continue planning. We got married for real, and then we went on our honeymoon. And on our honeymoon, I got sick. I got a spine infection, and I was trying to power through it. And uh, how dare I get sick? I'm ruining his his vacation. So. I one day take a cab by myself in the Caribbean to an urgent care. And they give me some antibiotics and some cold pills. And, you know, it's a very strange situation for me. So I go back to our room and I decide to take everything and power through and say, let's go to the beach. And about an hour after going to the beach, I realize that I've taken too much medication. I, I feel horrible. I feel sick. And I look at him. I say, I got to go back. Can't, uh, you know, I'll go back up. And I come back up and I just stripped off my teeny it's wet and sandy, and I popped onto the couch and crashed. When I woke up hours later, he was showing me that he had taken nude pictures of me sleeping and posted them onto a porn site online. And when I told him how disgusting that was, he said, no, it's awesome. Look, you made the front page. That means you're really hot. So to him, it was him saying, my wife is so sexy and hot. To me, it was saying, went behind my back, took me, pictures of me, posted them online. I was his property. You know, I was now married to him and his property. So it didn't really matter what I thought or feeling were whatsoever. I didn't know any different. I... I thought, well, we are married. So is that okay if he's doing that? And like, I really, he had me so in my head that I didn't realize it's literally illegal what he did. So after the honeymoon, he was actually going to getting out of the service and we were going to move back to our hometown. Found his house. And I thought, we're going to start like our little family life and we're going to start everything he talked about. But all he wanted to do was go out clubbing all the time so he wasn't working yet I was working um spending all of our money on nightclubs and cover charges all of this and uh it was just getting to a point of ridiculous and about a year later I am pregnant so I thought okay well this is going to settle him down um it didn't so much he did have a job now at this point and, um, he was getting more and more distant and cold and frustrated. And I looked back, it was because he was going to have to share my attention with the child. But, uh, there was one day I went to go make dinner and I pulled some chicken out and it had gone bad and you could smell it. And he freaked out and started yelling, I can't take this anymore. I'm divorcing you. and It was a Sunday. He pulls out the phone book and he's looking up lawyers under L and I start laughing at him. And I was like, you might want to look under A for attorneys. And he had pushed me and shoved me a few times. But like, that was the first time he really just popped on me. And I went to go block my stomach and hit me in the wrist. And um, I was in extreme pain. I was convinced it was broken and he wouldn't take me to the emergency room or do anything about it. And when I got there, they asked what had happened. And I couldn't tell him that my husband hit me so I said that pregnancy hormones I punched a wall so um it was around Christmas time too and we would have to go to like Christmas parties and events and I'm pregnant with a big thing on my wrist I'm like oh my god what happened and I'm telling everybody making up lies and making myself look like this crazy person that got the punched a wall because she was hormonal and pregnant because he made me seem like I was being crazy it was my fault that he hit me I shouldn't have Mouthed off to him. I shouldn't have let the chicken expire. I shouldn't have said look up A for attorneys. So therefore I deserve to get
0: hit. So you started believing the lies that you were told. And those things that were going on fits his narrative. And then at the same time, this narrative that he's spinning to you. Spinning to himself, is he spinning it to other people as well?
1: Um, he started doing that shortly afterwards, and about when he was six weeks old, we invited friends over to meet him and have like a whole little fun thing. And they sent me home on with pain medication. Um, told me not to be a martyr. If you need it, take it. And I took it as needed, but not a whole lot. And I had it hidden. So I go and I open up my underwear drawer and I find the empty pill bottle. And it hadn't even been actually six weeks. I hadn't even seen my follow-up visit yet. So um, when I confronted him about him stealing the pain pills, he just kind of looked at me like an evil character from a villain movie laughing at me. And I said to him, get out. Like, I'm done. Get out. I didn't feel safe for myself or my newborn child. And he said, okay, I will. But he threw me on the bed and said, I'm going to fuck you first. And I still had the phone in my hand, and I said, I'll call 911. And he started laughing and said, Go ahead, it's perfectly legal. It's not rape if it's your wife. So I dialed 911, and he wrestled the phone from my hand and started telling a story to dispatch. But they could hear me in the background upset. So they sent some officers over, and while the officers were there, taking my statement, he called his parents and that's when his gaslighting to other people really began that I could see. And now it could have been going on before then. And I wasn't aware of it. He had been gaslighting me for quite a while, but, um, you know, making me out to be this exhausted, hormonal, crazy woman that was making these accusations at him and he would never do something like this. And I was even too afraid to even tell the police officers the full thing of what happened because I'm holding my brand new baby in my arms. And, you know, I felt like I was just in like a made-for-TV movie. And all I could think of in the back of my head, my mother saying, what would we tell people? You know, that whole thing. So, um, but things got really bad then with his family. And they started treating me very differently. I never felt welcome anymore. And at one point, they even looked at me as I was holding my not even 10-month-old child and said, look at him. How would you feel if someone came to you and said, this sweet child of yours did something like that? So they were guilting me at that point for being honest about the abuse I was going through. And I look back at that. They had me feeling guilty and bad for them. But. It was disgusting. It was wrong. And I, that's abuse on their end and shame on them for it. I mean, things went on like that for a while. Um, after that, we, he decided, he said he was going to change and things were going to get better. And none of my friends have kids yet. I was younger. And he said, let's move to this amazing new community. We can build a brand new house, our dream house, young families will be great. But it was 45 minutes from my family. And red flag isolation. I should have looked at that right away. He was trying to take me away from everybody that was close to me because as soon as people would start to get close to me, he would try and drive wedges, um, whether it be my friends, my family. It was constant. You know, everything was a threat. Um, God, I, he accused me of cheating on him with every man and woman alive. Uh, didn't even matter. But, you know, it's. Things went on with the kids. We moved. We had more children. We were trying to start our lives. And people probably look back and think I was being brainwashed or forced into having children. And I was not. Like, that's one thing I will say. I'm now a mother for three teenagers. They are my light and soul. I always knew I wanted to be a mom more than anything in the world. So it was never anything that I was being forced into. It was more... Me filling a void in myself, me loving them so much and just wanting to keep having children, me being an only child, wanting a big family, and me thinking that if we have another kid, maybe that's going to fix it. And I was stupid. But, you know, just it kept going. And finally, I'd had my three kids. And there were so many things that would go on where he would come home late at night drunk out of his mind. I'd be alone with the kids. I'd be asking him not to be loud or wake them up. I was pregnant at one point and he ran and chased me into a corner and just I went into the fetal position to protect my stomach from my child getting hurt. And he was beating me in the top of the head, going, If I hit you in the head, they won't see the bruises of the marks. I'll never forget that. It was like did he go on like a how to abuse my wife forum or like i I don't understand where he figured this stuff out, but after so much time with all of this, um we had come to find out I had really bad endometriosis, which is why I had trouble with all of my pregnancies and had a couple miscarriages and didn't have the easiest time getting pregnant. my middle child, we literally had to do treatments and everything um So after my third was born, I sometimes would have my period for six weeks at a time. And I was in constant pain. And this was um, an attack at him that I couldn't have sex. You know, gosh, even I went on bed rest when I was pregnant with one of the boys and I couldn't have sex. So I would be forced to sit there and watch him masturbate the porn because it was my punishment not being able to perform. Um, but after so long of dealing with this, I was seeing a specialist and they had to start giving me pain medication when I would have my period because it would last so long. And endometriosis is incredibly painful. It spreads to all of your internal organs. I was having surgery a couple of times a year just to keep up with it. And my punishment for having so many female problems and not being able to perform wifely duties was I had to give them my pain meds. And I constantly would say to him, no, I need these. And he would always say, you can just call and get more. You can call and get more. And one night I was in so much pain and I was out of meds and I was sitting on the floor in my closet. And at that point I was so close with my GYN that I had her personal cell phone number, which is unheard of. And I called her and she said, I the last time I'm filling this prescription. You're going through these pain meds entirely too fast. You need to have a hysterectomy at this point. So I was then forced into having a hysterectomy at 31, which I look back at, and I am so grateful. (laughs) Um, I no longer live in daily chronic pain. But it was a decision I didn't get to make on my own. Um, And I was blessed to have my three babies and... I'm grateful for them constantly, but to not be able to make the decision on your own, it kind of stunk And that I had to just keep covering up his lies and his life um, so that he wasn't going to be doing things to me. And that was kind of what we had to do at that point. So, I mean, things continued like that for a while. Um, like, one thing that really stands out, I would say, is One night we were in bed and he'd been drinking and I never going to say I am not your basic white girl that loves her rosé vino. And I'd had a few glasses of wine, but he was always to the extreme of it. And he was on Facebook on his laptop and they had put an update it and he was freaking out. Like just so mad. Like it was Facebook did something to him. Like everything was always an attack at him. And I said, "Well, here, hand it to me. Let me help you." I look back at it now. He didn't want me to see because, come to find out, he was cheating on me for I don't know how long and using social media to slide into DMs. But when I said, "Here, hand me the laptop. Let me help you," he took the butt of his hand and just bopped into my nose. Not bopped. Um, and broke my nose. There was this blood running down my face, and I went running over to my neighbors. And they called the cops on him. And the cops came to our house first and talked to my husband. And then they came over to talk to me. And they said his story adds up. Um, he had pulled the whole Brothers in Blue thing. He was still military reserve. And then the police officer looked at me and said, do you really want to press charges on your meal ticket? Because you have him arrested. What are you going to do? So. Again, it was just creating that fear to me. Like, I finally felt like I had a little bit of a voice and said, oh, my God, look at what just happened. But then I had a police officer who was supposed to be protecting us saying to me, do you want to throw your meal ticket in jail? And I wish I had pressed charges. Um, hindsight, I didn't. And I don't think I'd be where I am right now if I had. So coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, but it just. Continued. And then about nine years ago, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And that was probably one of the biggest blows I've ever had handed to me. Um, because um he was my big, strong, tough man. He was my protector, he was the person I looked up to more than anything. saying I'm sorry. And um to see that he was mortal is no nobody wants to think of that you know what I mean that they can be hurt and it made me look at life very differently and after two years of my dad's battle he had to have a leg amputated um I was the one that did all of his treatments with him. um it just was easier and my husband never once asked if I needed anything, if he could be there, how I was feeling anything, and I finally said, "This is it. life is too short." and I told him I wanted a separation, and he would not allow it. so I said, "Well, I'm separated like this is it. like you don't want to leave, that's your choice, but i you and I are officially separated, and I told him I couldn't do it anymore and um I started seeing somebody, which was not right because I was legally married still. But in my head, I was separated and I was asking and he wouldn't allow it. I was his property. He couldn't give it up. And my father passed away and I went into a very dark place. And um, it was just, it was horrible. And then after about six months of my separated husband begging and pleading I love you so much I will change I promise you this is going to stop um I said okay let's try this he said I'll go to therapy with you I'll do everything but he promised all this was going to stop we're going to go to therapy we're going to get help we're going to do all of that so we tried and he, he did try as much as someone can he tried And eventually, um, we ended up, or he ended up getting an amazing job opportunity that would move us from the Midwest to the other coast to actually a place where we used to kind of vacation. And we thought, this is it. Like, this is exactly finally the change we need. Like, we can walk to the beach and it's going to be amazing. And it's an amazing opportunity. He was going to be making way more money. Um, and things were just going to be great. And for like a hot second, they were. And, but the only problem was now we live where he vacationed. And all the red flags of his drinking turned into one giant sign of he is a full-blown alcoholic. And every single day, um, he, was, he was drunk. Um, he would stop at the bar and not even tell me half the time. Um, he would come home and I'd have dinner made and he wouldn't sit down and eat with the family. He would sit outside and drink himself silly and just completely ignore myself and the kids all night. And he showed up to a school functioned event that I was in charge of for my middle child's grade graduation at the beach, completely intoxicated. Um, at that point he was getting in my face and threatening me a lot where my my kids were standing up for me and trying to back him away, which that was my breaking point when I found Al Anon. And Al-Anon was wonderful, um, because it made me understand boundaries. And I no longer needed to worry about his drinking. I had to worry about myself and my kids. And I was so consumed by the abuse and the drinking and everything else that was going on that I couldn't think about anything else and I, it was so eye opening to see that and it was it was great, but the stronger I got with that, the more he lost control and um at one point. He got up in my face and was screaming at me so bad. And I just snapped and I smacked him. And I said, get out of my face. And his response was, I'm so sick of being abused by you. And he called 911 and I was handcuffed in front of my children, in front of my home on Easter Sunday and thrown into the back of a squad car where I was then shackled, thrown into a paddy wagon, would they call it that anymore. Transferred to a local jail and spent 36 hours in gen pop um if anybody's ever watched orange is black season one episode one that's really the, how i can explain it i was given a bunkie i at one point had to be handcuffed to another woman for transport and she said i have no problem staying here longer if a bitch doesn't listen i will beat her down and i was like i'm listening <laughs> like this was not me at all um and police officer that even arrested me looked at me to why are you married to that man I said why are you arresting me and he said because you admitted to slapping him like there's nothing we can do which in my mind I still don't understand it's okay to spank your child in the grocery store but a big scary drunk gets in your face and you cannot slap him to protect yourself and I don't understand it but um it was it was horrible. So I got out and there was a 30-day no contact to protect the victim, which to this day, that makes my skin crawl, that he was the victim in the situation. Um, and my mother had moved down here at the time because my father had passed away. I was an only child. She was tired. So I was staying with her because I couldn't go home for 30 days, which I was glad to do. And actually, my kids did not want to stay at the house with him either. So they came and stayed at my mother's as well. And he would not file the no contact. He continued to text me. He continued to try and call me. I wouldn't respond. I was not going back to jail. He went as far as to reach out to the district attorney and get charges dropped so I could come home early. And I was very hesitant to. But when I did finally come home, he was shockingly absolutely annihilated drunk so um that was pretty much like when I knew I had to start making a plan I would say that was the first step of me saying I need to start making a plan and it took god a year and a half probably to get that plan in order but I I was um You know, I'd given up on trying to get help from his family. They were oblivious to it. They didn't want to be concerned with it. It was my fault that he drank. Uh, You know, there was always just excuses for it. And all I ever wanted to do was just take care of my kids. And quarantine happens. And I know that was hard for a lot of people. Um, And I thank God all the time still that he was um, essential for his job because he has a high clearance level because I don't think I would have lived. I, I think he probably would have gotten drunk and killed me one night. Um, I, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that I wouldn't have survived it through his drinking and his outburst because there were many occasions that would happen. But I started setting more boundaries with myself. And if he was drinking, he was not allowed in the bedroom. I had to deal with it quite a few times getting him out of there, you know, him holding me down, attacking me, me having to sometimes even hope that he would just pass out where I could roll him over or get him moved. Where happened many times, but there was one night where he came in and uh, wouldn't leave me alone. And I finally said to him, leave me alone. I I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. And even though I had my plan going, I couldn't, I, I, I snapped. And he looked at me and said, I'm so glad you said that. And he took me and just threw me over his head. And I landed on top of my head and I heard my neck snap. And my middle son, who was, I guess, 13 at the time, heard it and came running upstairs and found me hovered in the corner crying. And he came charging at my son with his fist up, and my son said, Dad. And I went and grabbed my phone. I said, I'm calling the cops right now if you go anywhere near him. Long story short, the next morning while he was at work, I packed the kids up and we went. I preloaded a prepaid credit card and we stayed at a hotel. I told them the situation. That they put a block on us, had us protected so that nobody could reach us. And um, I retained an attorney. And I knew that was, I mean, I already had my plan going, but this was really pushing things forward. Um, he then begged and pleaded for us to come home. He was going to start doing AA meetings. He was doing them on Zoom already. And the kids were getting ready to start school. So after a week, and me also not being able to support us in a hotel, I said, okay, well, let's go back. So the kids can start school from home. And within a week, he was already back to drinking. My middle child had had uh, some oral surgery. He the pain pills from him. Um, I would find him texting his father lies about me, that I was going out drinking and partying while he was trying to get sober. None of it was true. It was just more of this gaslighting. Um so it just basically continued like that until one day he was so drunk and home over the next morning that he just came up and started attacking me and screaming at me in our closet, and he clocked me in the jaw, and I pushed him after he did it, and he called the cops on me again, and I panicked, so I took my keys and I got in the car, and I went to a neighbor's house who was a very good friend, and told her what happened. And people in the small town I live in were starting to pick up on it. So she called to tell them what was really happening, and they went and spoke with him, and they came down to speak with me afterwards. And the sheriff actually said, you've got to get yourself and your children out of that situation. I could smell them from a mile away. My two oldest children came out and said they wanted their stories heard and they said my mom does so much for us my dad drunk he hits her he yells at her all the time all sorts of stuff like this so um for the first time I was like oh my god people are actually listening people hear me people know my neighbor knew this police officer knew and the sheriff actually called DCF and reported him on DCF and when DCF reached out to me I was panicked thinking they were going to take my children away, but she just kept telling me, we want to make sure you and your children are safe. And uh, I said, I have an attorney. And I told her who it was and she said, good job, mama. So I, I have a wonderful attorney who's been taking very good care of me. Um, and it, And I just wanted to get through the holidays.
0: So I have a question for you. You know, you've been in this... Marriage for a very long time, the abuse um, you know from the controlling behavior to to now, the physical abuse has picked up the smearing has picked up he 's much more of a loose cannon now as he 's become more of an uh, addict, and you have gone through your own process of being twisted around. I assume in there you have battled depression or hopelessness of how do I figure out how to get out of this situation and you're being pulled back in. You you know you're you're, you wanted you know you're trying to make things work. You don't know what's going on. So at, at this point of the relationship, are you dead set on? This is over. I need to figure out how to get out. How are you feeling about yourself at this point? And are you feeling strong? Are you feeling like you don't have any more energy to give? And where are you kind of getting your momentum or modes of... um inertia, change, all of those things. Like, is there anything that's inspiring you or, you know, what's your motive? Obviously the motivation is you don't want to be in this situation anymore, but is there other people around you that are, that are, um, lifting you up?
1: Yes, it was actually for the first time I felt like I had amazing support system. Um, my aunt actually, lent me the money for the retainer for my attorney when I opened up and shared with her. Um, And I found out that my family had had suspicions for a while. Um, My mother would no longer even come to things at our house. Uh, Didn't want to be anywhere near him anymore. Um, As I said, so many people were coming forward. I was mentally exhausted. But at the same time, I was so charged with this plan I had, you know, I had a plan in place and I was doing it. And at the time I had become a trainer for the first time ever in my life, I was doing something I loved that made me feel amazing. And I had some clients that would pay me cash. So every time I got paid cash, I pulled it. Um, so I had was saving all this cash that he didn't know about and it was it was great oh my gosh, but one day he found my hidden stash and he stole it. So that was just he didn't know what I could be doing. I said it's just a rainy day fund. I I just thought it's a good idea to have a rainy day fund. You know, I would have to come very quickly up with a response for it. Um and I got it back, thank God. But um no, I, I was kind of on an endorphin high at that point because I finally had a plan. I had gone through lots of spells of hopelessness, not being able to even get out of bed or do anything other than bathe and sleep. There were many days like that, But once I had a plan in place and I knew I had a support system, and at that point, even my two oldest children were begging me all the time, please divorce them. And my oldest, who's now 18, even knew I had an attorney at the time. So, um. Yeah, I, I felt good about it, even though I I knew I was gonna have to still take a bunch of crap, um, which I did. I knew I was gonna be able to. Uh, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, what thinks like I did mention is that um, my we were getting to, through everything, and my birthday and Thanksgiving are right around the same time. And my mother chose not to come over for Thanksgiving, which was my birthday that year. And it was my last one with her alive. Um, So um, one of the things that he would do a lot was try and isolate me from my friends and family. And he was very good at it, especially with my mother. And it took a very big toll on the relationship I had with her. And it sucks. And I hope that she's listening to this right now. And she knows that I have so much regret um, did I allow that monster to put that situation there? but um, there were so many times where I, I had to either protect myself or the boys or he got into my head and thought that my mom was trying to do things and I look back and I see that, but we were getting there, we were almost to the point, and then he had to go away for the weekend for his military drill. And he had been cheating on me like crazy or attempting to cheat on me. I I never, I don't know for a fact whether he actually did. I decided while he was out of town, I was going to see if I could find him on dating apps. So I downloaded Tinder and I'm looking for him, but he was too far away within the radius. Like I didn't know anything about the app whatsoever. Um. So I'm swiping, I'm swiping, I'm swiping, I'm trying to find him. And in the process, I was like, there's some good looking guys out there. And that was wrong of me. I was still married just because I had an attorney, just because I was getting ready to serve him, did not make it okay. But it was kind of invigorating. And I ended up matching with somebody and we just talked. Like we just kind of like shared some common interests and talked. And I had heard all these crazy things about prepazoids on Tinder, but like we just kind of become friends. I deleted Tinder, obviously, because I had no interest in it, but he had followed me on Instagram and we would like kind of talk on Instagram, but nothing was going on. It wasn't flirtatious. It wasn't, um, there wasn't like sexting or any of those things that you hear about. It was literally just like, how's your day? You know, we talked about just nerdy things and, and then all of a sudden one day, I get a call from my husband and he had hacked my Instagram and he found the conversations. So, this just completely set him off, which it should have, even though he'd done it to me. That doesn't make an excuse. And he came home from work that night and he was completely intoxicated. And I told him I had an attorney and I wanted a divorce. I said, like, there it, I'm done. Um, I was just trying to get through the holidays, but there's no point at this point anymore. And you need to leave. That's We're over. So he left and, uh, I was just going to about the rest of my night. I take a bath every night. It's like my quiet Zen time. And I got out of the bath and I was upstairs getting dressed and I could hear my husband's voice with bar sounds in the background coming out and I'm looking around and then he starts commenting about me being naked and he could hear me or he could see me looking for him and I look and he'd put a camera in the corner of our bedroom and he was recording me and watching me on his phone in a bar naked and that was just I mean the things he's done to me but knowing anybody could have walked by and seen it so I went and I unplugged it and threw it away somewhere and locked up the house went to sleep at about 1 30 in the morning he broke in and comes to get into bed and just is holding me down against my will and attacking me and his eyes were black like he was looking through me couldn't see me like there was nothing behind his eyes like they were dead and about three times I was able to get him out of bed and get him down to the couch and he kept coming back up. And the last time was the first time ever in 20 years of marriage. I started screaming out my oldest child's name because I, I was that afraid he was 16 at the time. And I, I was petrified. He was trying to stick his fist up my vagina. He was trying to rip my breast off. It was just, it was horrible. And, um, I, Finally got free and I went and I got my oldest child and I said to him, It's really bad this time. We might need to call 911. Because I've always avoided it because he had security clearance and he would lose his job. And that was his excuse for not being able to go to rehab or anything. I could lose my job. I could lose my job. So at that point, he was absolutely annihilated drunk, sitting on the toilet, and he hears me say nine one one and says, That's a great idea. So he calls 911 from the toilet. And I realized this is my chance. So I grabbed my phone and I can hear him saying to the dispatch operator, my wife and her boyfriend are beating me and attacking me. I'm trying to fend them off. They're trying to break into the house. Like, it was making no sense. And I heard him then to say, no, I've had absolutely nothing to drink. And I was like, oh. so uh, my son and I went outside and I called 911. And I told the dispatch what was really going on. And they said they could see a car was already on their way out. They said, do not go back inside the house. You and your son stay away from him. And at the end of the day, he was arrested for battery domestic violence. Um, I had to be photographed outside in December topless because I had a hand handprint shaped bruise on my left breast. They thought he had ruptured my implant. They tried to get me. To the hospital, but I didn't want to leave. My two younger children were sleeping. I figured what's going to happen between right now and the next morning. But unfortunately, in the process of all of this, while he was drunk, he had put some nasty things on Facebook and the cops had taken his phone away. So, um, but the good part about this was even more people started coming forward, messaging me saying, Are you okay? We saw all of these posts. I had clients of mine that were saying he was hitting on me all of this crazy stuff but at the same time his family was commenting on all of his Facebook posts saying how horrible I am and continuing his gaslighting so I finally fell asleep and the next morning when I woke up being in a small town the entire town knew um you know his mugshot the police report everything was going around everybody knew I had been sexually assaulted everybody knew I had been beaten up and as a trainer I lived in spandex and I was so afraid to leave the house in anything other than baggy clothes because I didn't want to be sexualized anymore I was in hat and sunglasses constantly um you know it was just it was so demoralizing but one thing that happened that really upset me more than anything was he continued to call me from jail and I knew he was going to be on a no contact and I had to call the jail and tell them and report it because at that point I was done I didn't care anymore like let him lose his job I will figure something out I will do whatever I have to do to take care of my kids to get us out of the situation you know I was done so I'm telling them he's calling me he's doing this and they said he will take care of it He's going to be released at some point. They will give you a heads up because he had to, he get escorted back by a sheriff to get his belongings and then be taken away again. And all of a sudden it's the middle of the night and I hear my dogs barking and he was in the driveway. Uh, The sheriff's office did not give me any kind of a warning that he was on his way. I mean, he did have a sheriff in tow, but I was not I didn't want to see that man. And um, I had repeatedly tell the sheriff he's trying to talk to me. He won't leave me alone. So he left. And um, I thought I was free. And I was on this major endorphin high of I can conquer the world. I went and got a tattoo. Like, I was done. But that's when he realized he lost his property. Um. So he got out of jail and he drained all the bank accounts. He would tell my children, uh, my oldest child, like, if your mom won't take me back, I'm going to turn her cell phone off after draining bank accounts and um, just making all these threats at me. Um, He went out to go with his family and they were going to do an intervention and said they just took him to wineries and continued indulging his addictive behavior. He just still wouldn't leave it alone. He got back in town. He was, he was hotel hopping. He finally got an apartment. So such, a, He sent me screenshots of conversations he's having with women. sent me so- pictures of other women's soiled underwear. Um, when he found out I was seeing someone, which I am now in a very healthy relationship, um, he found out and sent pornographic pictures of me to my current boyfriend um who has handled it all like a champ in fact he just looked at me and said I'm so sorry are you okay and for the first time I was like oh my gosh my feelings are valid (laughs) because like I thought it was my fault like how could I allow my ex-husband to have those pictures of me but he my boyfriend just felt for with me and now here I am almost two years Since my soon to be ex husbands arrest, I'm living with my boyfriend. We are co-parenting our five children. Um, And I'm still married to that monster because he refuses to let go of his property. He refuses to grant me divorce. He has refused child support, alimony, He's on his third attorney because he thinks that he's untouchable. We've gone to mediation once. Um, we're supposed to have a second mediation. He's already told me, I don't know why we're doing this. I know we're going to have to go to trial. And it's because he doesn't want to have to pay child support. He's trying to fight for 50-50. And I already took um to court once over that and was able to prove all of his uh addiction issues with the pain pills and the drinking that the judge only allows him a very short amount of time every other weekend. And he's not allowed to drink within 24 hours of having them or the entire time that he has them. And if he doesn't get himself into a program, he's never going to get more than that. He's yet to do that. Um, but he keeps trying to say he wants 50 50. So he doesn't have to pay child support. Uh
0: and you said before that you were in therapy. So what are the biggest things that you and your therapist work on?
1: So, um, we are doing the EMDR and it's been really helpful. Um, it's exhausting. Um, but I've realized a lot cause I have horrible insomnia and PTSD. As I said, injuries, I will sometimes average nine to 12 hours of sleep in a week or two, um, that's been helpful because we've realized uh, I'm afraid to sleep, obviously, for many reasons, but a lot of attacks happen in the bedroom. Also, um, you know, I found my mother when she passed away in the bedroom, stuff like that. So she's made me realize things like that, and that I have this non worthiness feeling. Um, I mean, been adopted I never say I didn't feel like I was loved or worthy but I guess it's an abandonment issue even though I don't feel like I was abandoned because I had two amazing parents that I got shortchanged out of who passed away too soon um that doesn't really take away from what's hidden down deep inside I guess if that makes sense um so she's helped with that a lot um she's helped me realize I'm worthy of love that I'm worthy of Even things as simple as food, I got down to 89 pounds after he was arrested because every time I tried to eat, I would start dry heaving. Um, I just didn't feel like I was worthy. I couldn't do it. So that's been really helpful. There's times where it's too much and I have to stop, like, if we start on failing things. um, Because I've also realized I hate showing emotion. I use humor. Because if people are laughing at you or laughing with you, they're not laughing at you. So let me make a joke out of all of this. And then we can all laugh and it won't be so sad. But she's made me realize it's okay to cry and show emotion, to show feelings. Because as you probably saw and heard, as soon as I even start to break down a little bit, I kind of shut myself out from it. And I'm like, nope. But that was something my father always would tell me when I was little. Shorty, you're the strong one. Like, if I started to get upset or cry, like, shorty, you're the strong one. You can't do that. So it's been amazing. Like, I never thought I would be the person that quotes constantly. Well, my therapist says. (laughs) But I am. And I'm glad that I am. And I can't say enough amazing things about therapy. Um, I finally broke, got my two older children to say that they're ready for therapy. So they are going to be starting it soon because I said I didn't want to force them into it. I wanted them to do it on their own because otherwise it wouldn't be worth their time. So they're open to it now. And um, actually, when I spoke with a women's group, they were asking me resources that I wish they had. And I said, I would love to see support groups for children of domestic violence. And it was like a light bulb went off. So now they're going to try and get support groups not just kids that grew up getting abused, but like my children, it was different. They had to witness the abuse. And I think there's probably a whole lot more of us out there. Like, there's, I was your typical mid level suburban housewife, putting on this facade, taking my kids to Little League games, and, you know, trying just to do my best. And on the inside, it was just complete and utter hell. And I i know I'm not the only one out there. So I would love that if my kids could get into a safe environment where they could feel like they can start talking and expressing their feelings and know that they're not alone.
0: And if you have any words of wisdom or advice for everyone listening, what would it be?
1: <sighs> um, well like I was just saying, like with my kids, they're not alone. I'm sure anybody listening and hearing this and saying, this sounds familiar. Like you're not alone. And if you think it's a red flag, it's a red flag. And he tells you it's not that bad. It is that bad. And I used to tell myself, God, there's women that have it so much worse than me. That doesn't make it okay. Nothing I went through was okay at all. And um just because he tried to belittle it or get into my head and I tried to belittle it, one mind is never right. And there's abuse of so many different levels and I think I hit all of them. Um, even down to financial, like I said, he drained the bank account. He purposely hit my credit score for me to move into a new home. I had to write so many letters to renters explaining um the financial abuse my ex had put me through so if anything here resonates to you you're not alone and it's not okay and no one deserves this and i just i hope more women start standing up and finding their voice like i found mine
0: well nancy botwin we're here at the at the end and you did uh, you know, you, you went through a lot and today you shared your story and you helped a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: How are you feeling? Great. Okay. Cause no one realizes this until I'm telling it now, but we've gone through a lot of technical difficulties <laughs> to even get through um, this point, so I, uh, you, you know, you've told your story, which is one thing. And then you've also dealt with me here today, uh, changing things up a lot and, and having you repeat some things which are not easy to do. And it's, you know, you're, it's traumatic and I didn't want to re-traumatize you and, uh, by constantly doing that. So I, if, uh, you know, I just thank you for, for, doing this and for helping other people, um, because, you know, not just telling your story, but what we had to do today isn't easy as well to, to have this process be done. And so, uh, thank you so much for everything once again.
1: Thank you so much for letting me share.
0: And for everyone listening who wants to be a guest on our show, like Nancy Botwin, was today please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com top of the page there's a button that says guest form click on that button read our instructions and either fill out our guest form press the submit button or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com we have a very very what was I saying there I was screwing up my words We have, oh what a day everyone, we have our very own safe social network and if you click on that support group button you'll you'll see our uh, forum boards that we have where people post and answer, we have our own Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night every other Thursday afternoon, we have episodes that never made it to air, we have ad-free episodes and if you just want to support our show please just join our support group. That helps us out a lot. And if you need even more support, please do go to our friends at domesticshelters.org. So if you are someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. So please do go to domesticshelters.org because they have articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And that's it for our show today. I just want to thank Nancy Botwin once again. And from myself and Nancy, we hope you have a good night.